Say it again. Jesus. Is that the way you usually say it? We knew a woman a number of years ago, and when she would say the name of Jesus, I got goosebumps. Just She said it so reverently, so respectfully. Uh, I felt like I was in the Lord's presence when she would say the name of Jesus. Some people don't say it that way. Maybe there have been times in your life when you said Jesus in a much different way. I heard a line in a movie a few days ago, I can't even repeat here, it was just in the worst possible way that Jesus could be <coughs> represented, and it was it was grievous because we love him. I, I think I might have told you before about playing golf with a friend one day. He was a new friend, and uh, he, he knew what I did for a living. He's a Catholic man, and uh, we were playing golf, and he said the name of Jesus like a swear word. And as soon as he said it, he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, would you please forgive me? He said, I, I shouldn't have said Jesus like that. So there was a sense in which he probably talked that way pretty often. But just me being there helped him remember not to say Jesus in that way. And I was grateful for that. I want you to think with me today about, <clears throat> about Christmas. I always feel this compunction during the Christmas season that we see the manger and we see the, the, uh, the manger scene with Joseph and Mary and everything that's associated with that scene. And I want us to remember who that baby is and not leave Jesus as a little baby in a manger, but really recognize who that baby is, that It's beyond our comprehension to think that God Almighty shrunk himself down into a human being and was born in a barn. That's just, it's the greatest act of humility that we can imagine. That God would become a human, number one, and secondly, that he would be born in the circumstances in which he was born. So I want us to look at a passage this morning about the deity of Jesus. There are many. This is one of several we'll read today, but there's no question about the deity of Jesus. And when we look at the baby Jesus, I'm not sure we often think, well, that's God in the flesh. So let's look at this passage, which is the first section of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. Notice how Jesus is described as the Word. Words explain things. I'm explaining, I'm unpacking things to you this morning You will understand things and see things today because of words. Words explain. So in using that name in reference to Jesus, it's saying that he's explaining God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, Isn't this unbelievable? Even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word, the the, the one who explains, became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who, himself, who is himself God and is the closest in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known or has explained him. So the first blank on your outline right in, Jesus. Who is he? Where did he come from anyway? So how many of you are on Ancestry.com? You've used Ancestry.com or 21andMe? Some of, some of you have. Uh, last year, <coughs> I went to Salt Lake City uh, and spent a day with one of my grandsons, and we went down to Temple Square and uh, walked around the campus, saw couples who were being, had been being married in the temple, and they were outside celebrating. And then we went over to the library, uh, where it's a library of uh, genealogy. And there's a, the whole was a massive room full of computers, and there's a few computers lined up over here for, for non-Mormons, and the rest of them are for, for Mormons. And the reason it's so important to them is because they, they are baptized for their relatives that are dead already. They baptize for the dead. So it becomes very important to them. Their ancestors' salvation depends upon them in their belief system being being baptized for them, so it's important that they find out who they are. So you dig back, and I've done this before, but I, I typed in you know my mom's name, I typed in my dad's name a little bit later. But it gets complicated because you got a mom, you got a dad, and you want to know, you, you want to know, uh, where did I come from? I came from both of those families. So you look up two people, and then as soon as you look up two people, then you've got two more on this side, two more on this side, so now you got four, and then you divide those again, then you got 16. I mean, it becomes complicated in a hurry to try and keep track of who's in your, who's in, in, in your lineage. So uh, I spent a few minutes doing that and have before, and then just a few days ago, in fact, uh, a cousin of mine had put some pictures of my grandma that I'd not seen before on Ancestry. So it's, it's nice to know where you came from. So we have the genealogy of Jesus, which is very clear. It's interesting the way it's put. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says, and I love this, it says there's 14 generations between Abraham and David. Then there's 14 generations between David and the captivity, when God judged his people and they were sent into, the, into what would be today Iran. And then there's 14 generations between the captivity and the birth of Jesus. Now, I find that fascinating. That it's no accident, 14, 14, 14. But then it lists the genealogy of Jesus from the human perspective. And there's some interesting people. I should do a series sometime on the people that are in the genealogy of Jesus. It's really fascinating. Uh, particularly the women. First of all, it would have been unusual for women to be listed in the genealogy in that culture. But the women that are listed are fascinating because, for example, Tamar. You can read about her in, in Genesis. Uh, she played the she played a prostitute. She played the role of a prostitute. I don't know about you, but I I'm not sure I want to know all the bad people in my genealogy. But up pops Tamar, and uh, she was deceiving someone who had deceived her. 
and that's proudly placed in the genealogy of Jesus, this woman who's a prostitute. Then we have Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. The Moabites were enemies of God, God's people for generations and generations. And isn't it interesting now that this, she would have been regarded, as we talked about last week, those people. She's one of those people that's in the genealogy of Jesus. And then, then we have, it doesn't say her name, it says the wife of Uriah. We all know who that is. She's also the wife of David, the mother of Solomon. So we have a prostitute, we have one of those people, and we have this woman who is an adulterer, and then we have Mary. So you think, well, Mary's in a different category. Well, not really, because Mary's relation, Mary's uh, reputation was pretty sordid too. I mean, think about it. People, what were people saying about her? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, the Holy Spirit conceived that baby in you. Yeah, right. I mean, would you have believed it? All of her life, you can see, you can tell by the way it describes Jesus at times. It says, "Isn't he the carpenter's son?" And and it's a disparaging thing, even about their reputation. So think about. It. I mean, it's encouraging, isn't it, that you have Jesus Christ, and on the human side of his genealogy, one of the things I love about the Bible is it presents people like they are. It doesn't try and do like we do most of the time and cover up and pretend to be something we're not. He just lays it out there. Here's what people are like. And the good thing about that is we can identify with them. You say, oh, gosh, well, if, if God would accept them, then I guess he'd probably accept me as well. So you think about the Christmas story. I should have set, it, set one up this morning. You've got baby Jesus. You've got Joseph and Mary. You've got all the animals. And I've, I've been there to the, to the shepherd's fields. Uh, where, where the caves are, where, where they, we know that Jesus was born in one of those caves. And all of that's right. We corrected the wise man thing since I was a little boy. They didn't show up until a couple, a couple of years later. But all those things about the birth of Jesus are true. But that's not his origin. His life didn't start there. His life started a long time before that. Notice and fill in the blank there, Jesus was in the beginning. Notice it didn't say from the beginning. It says in the beginning. So he was there when things began. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And then the second blank there is Jesus was with God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That means that he was in the beginning but he was with God in the sense that he was separate and distinct. Two, two different people. Two different aspects of God. And then the third blank there is that Jesus was God. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if this is a good explanation or not, but I, I've never read a good explanation of the Trinity. It's so hard to get your mind around. For me, it works. And that is that that ice and water and steam are all H2O. That is, they're all made up the, of the same thing. They're just in a different form. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same essence. They're made of the same thing, but they take a different form. Notice Hebrews chapter 1, which is another great passage on the divinity of Jesus. 
It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now think about that. The prophets came and they declared the truth of God. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So he was spoken, he was revealed to us in words, but now he's revealed to us in a person. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I don't know how much more clear you could be on the divinity of Jesus. And in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, the Son is the image. So there was the invisible God, but now there's the God that's seen. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So notice the next blank there. Jesus was in the beginning and is God the creator of all things. Now, I don't know why, but just in the last few years, I've believed the divinity of Jesus for a long, long time, but the reality of the fact, when we look at Jesus, he is God. He is the creator. People say, well, why is Christianity so unique and different? Because none of those other religions say that their prophet or whatever is God. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, the creator of all things. That's an astounding, astounding thing. So the blank, Jesus was in the beginning and is God the creator of all things. Now John, the gospel writer that we're looking at today, was an eyewitness. He followed Jesus. He talked to Jesus. He spent time with Jesus for a period of three years. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw him raised from the dead. He talked to him many days after he was raised from the dead, and he attested to that fact and put it in writing. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, I'd like to have been there, wouldn't you? There's a Mount of Transfiguration, and this cloud appears, and the Father speaks out of the cloud, this is my son. Listen to him. So before that, it was Elijah and Moses, the law and the prophets. But now it is, no, they're gone. He says, now this is my son. I want you to listen to him. I want you to focus on him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It's the way John declared the divinity of Jesus. Then the apostle Paul, I got to meet Paul someday. Golly, he was an amazing man. You talk about a man's man. I mean, he was brutally beaten. He was whipped. He was scourged. He was thrown in the ocean several times. He went through hell on earth for Jesus. And he wrote in the first, in the first Corinthians, he said, I've, he says, if you don't believe in, in the resurrection of Jesus, he says, go talk to those people right over there. They saw him, 500 of them, saw him alive after he was crucified. He says, they're, they're, they're still alive. They saw him. So Philippians 2, 6, and 7 says, Who being in very nature God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human flesh. So the Creator, gosh, someday, I pray this all the time, Lord, I just wish I could see what you're really like. The Creator of all things shrunk himself, down into a little baby, a helpless, little, weak baby, fragile baby. We see the baby, but there's so much more. 
of who that baby really is. So number two is Jesus' Jesus's life explained what God is like. So it's one thing to have a person describe to you in words. It's another, another thing to see them. So notice the picture on, this, on the screen now. Uh, anybody recognize who that is? No, not me. He's a lot better looking than me. Somebody over here said Arnie. That's Arnie. So let's see, let's see Arnie. There, there he is. That's the Arnie we know. Jesus was that, and he became that. Okay? And then the second picture, who do you think that is? Huh? No, not me. Jared. In the acute little boy. Looks like a little sissy to me. <laughs> Such a cute little guy. And then this is what Jared became. He became a hippie. I think I even knew Jared in those days. And then who do you think this is? Would you, would you recognize that as being Allie? I mean, if I just showed you that picture out of this context, would you, would you say, oh, that's Allie? Heck no, you wouldn't, but look what Allie became. Oh, man, I saw the picture. I saw the picture the other day. I said, hubba, hubba. You know, you know what she said? She said, I was just mad. I was just mad that day. But uh, she turned out all right, didn't she? And then guess who that is? No. No. Joe. Now look what Joe turned out like. Yeah, we all know Joe. <laughs> kind of scary what he turned out like, isn't it? I was going to bring a picture of me. I didn't. I, I, Ginger put a... It's really, it's really great. It's a chair that belonged to my grandmother, and it's sitting in the hallway of our house. And then right above the chair is a picture of me when I was just a little guy, barely able to stand up with my hand on that chair. So you see me and the picture of the chair and the chair sitting right here. It's really, really pretty, pretty cool. The point is that Jesus came and, and showed us in the flesh this is what God is like. And he looked a lot different than we probably would have, have thought in the beginning. So it, it, one way to describe it, I didn't do it because we had the, the baptistry thing here this morning, but I was going to have somebody stand out in the hallway and talk over the microphone and let you listen to their voice so that you could get a picture in your mind of what they look like and then have them just step through the door. And it would have been totally different than what you thought. This past, this past week I was thinking about Jack Hayford's son. I, I heard about him and I heard him on a, on a phone call one day. We were, several of us were on a phone call. And I heard this guy talking and he sounds like God when he talks. I mean, he's got this beautiful, you know, bass voice. And so I had, my, I had a picture in my mind of what he looked like. I'd never seen him. And then when I saw him, I thought, oh, gosh, that didn't look like him at all. So that's the point of Jesus coming to earth is we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have said, oh, that's God. We, we would say, what, what does God look like? Here's what God looks like. Not just in terms of his physical being, but in terms of who he is as a person and how he acts, how he treats people, what he does. Jesus came and demonstrated to us what God looks like. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. One translation says, has the New American Standard translated, he has explained him. So the word explained what God is like. And the notice of light, Jesus became flesh and blood. Again, John chapter. this is First John chapter 1. Because people were saying, well, he didn't really come in the flesh. So this is what John wrote. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of God. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, we proclaim to you the, you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. First time I studied that uh, a number of years ago, I, I thought, I thought, what if I, what if I walked up to Victor and I said, uh, "How are you? What's oh, your name?" I'm good. All right. All right. What do you do? Um, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. a student. You're an eighth grader, but your dad affirmed that you you don't do anything. So, so we know that. <laughs> so, what if I came over here to this person and she said, "Well." You know, I've heard about that person, but I don't know if he really exists or not. And question me, then I'd say this. I'd say, listen, I touched him. He's real. I know he's real. I heard him speak. I've seen him with my own eyes. That's what John said. Are you telling me Jesus doesn't exist? I talked to him. I touched him. I heard him. I heard his voice. I know that he is real, and he knew that he was real also in the fact that he was raised from the dead. So it's one thing to read something in a book. Sometimes you'll read a book and then see a movie. It's, it's different, isn't it? It's disappointing. Not, not in this case. You read the book and then see the person is so much more than you ever thought, it, thought that he would have been. So the word explained him. Words, you talk, you describe, you understand, but then when you see them, it's so much, so much beyond what you could have ever seen in a book. So the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Much different than what they thought God was like. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made Him known or He has explained Him. So the blank there is Jesus explained God who is full of grace and truth. So a number of years ago, you, you probably all heard of Rick Warren. He's a famous pastor in the United States, wrote a book that was a bestseller for I don't know how many million copies it sold. So my friend Jared Roth, who is my life coach, he's a good friend of mine. He's a Duck fan, so I really like him. And uh, Jared went to a meeting in Chicago, and Rick Warren was there. And so Jared walked over and introduced himself to him, and he said, Hi, my name is Jared. He says, I've so looked forward to meeting you in person. And Rick Warren said, it's disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> you meet him, it's kind of disappointing. You know, he's, he's not the most handsome guy in the world, but he's got a great reputation. So from that to this, it's like, oh, disappointing. That's not the case with Jesus. You read about him. Prophets talked about him. But then you saw him in person, who he was, what he was like. It wasn't, if you would have only, only read the Old Testament... And, and, and evaluate what God is like based on the whole test, Old Testament, what would you think? 
rigid, lawgiver. But you see Jesus, you see grace. You see truth, but you see grace. I'll never get over the grace of God. We had four people baptized in the first service this morning. Oh, gosh. If I could tell you their story. Uh, tough background. Almost lost them at one point a few months ago. And, but here's, here's the greatest part of the story. A friend of theirs started inviting them to church. And they started coming to church, and he felt this responsibility to have them come to church with him. So they did. And here, about a year later, they received Christ. Because somebody brought them, somebody invited them. So he's not stern, he's not harsh, but he's grace and truth. Jesus didn't lower the standards. He clarified them with truth and with grace. So you've heard me explain this many times. The law is... Here's where I am. Here's where God is. The law says you start doing things. You start following the rules. They're good rules, but they're hard to keep. And the closer you get, pretty soon they'll accept you. Grace is just the opposite of that. It's here's where I am. And so many Christians do this. So many Christians receive, receive the Lord, and then they, then they think they have to be good enough. Or even beforehand, Ginger used to say this, I could never do that. I could never live like that. I could never live, live like other people live because she thought it was about the rules. But grace is that God comes to us where we are. He died for us while we were still sinners. And then he says, come walk with me and I'll show you how to live your life. And he, and he lives out truth, but he lives it in a gracious way. I told those ones this morning that came from such a tough background, I said, there's going to be days when you feel like I can't do this. There are going to be days when you think, I'm down. But listen, God's got you. He's got you. He's not going to let you let you go. So Jesus explained God full of grace and truth. He didn't lower the standards. He clarified them with truth and grace. And then John 1, 11 and 12. He came to that which was his own. This is unbelievable. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he, became, he gave the right to become the children of God. One version says they didn't recognize him when he came. So I was in a sociology class at Portland State University, and it was the craziest class I, I was ever in because I didn't know it, but it was an experiment. And when I walked in the room, it was the whole room was filled with black people. And I looked around and I thought, oh my, what's happening here? And I sat down and then I saw one young woman, a white, white woman, in the room. we were the only two white people in the room. And there were about this many people in the class. It was all black people, and I started looking around. This one guy had a, had a razor in his back pocket. I mean, he was a tough dude. He started talking, you just wanted to shrink up and disappear. And it was an experiment to see how we'd read I'm sure somebody wrote a paper on it. But we were sitting in the park blocks one day. We went down there as a class. I don't remember why. But I, there, was a, there were a couple of black ladies sitting on the bench, so I went over and I sat by one of them. And she looked at me like, I thought, oh, hello. <laughs> and I tried to talk to her, and, and she just sneered at me. And I don't remember exactly what she said, but I, I, I said to her, I said, listen, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what I'm like, but you've got this picture in your mind of what I'm like, and that's, that's how you're treating me. So 
said, you have no idea. In other words, she rejected me. Now, when I see, when I see Aaron or I see Drew now, they're black men that attend our church. At first, Drew was a little bit like that lady. He'd, every greeting time, he'd, he'd walk up, he'd walk by me, and he wouldn't even look at me, he'd just kind of start to walk by, and I'd, I'd reach out and grab his hand and say, how you doing, Drew? And after a few months, he started warming up, and now he's my brother. He treats me well. I treat him well. He's accepted me. So there's such a difference between rejecting and, and accepting. Maybe you're a person who's rejected Jesus in your life. You say, ah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that stuff. When you think about it, what we believe is pretty crazy. That God would become flesh. That there's this guy who performed miracles. He healed the blind, healed the sick. We believe it because of the resurrection of Jesus. That, that made it valid. Paul said, if there is no resurrection, we're the biggest fools in the world. But there is a resurrection. So we believe it. We've accepted him. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and just ask, have you, have you accepted him? I would suspect that probably most of the people in this room have, have uh, dealt with what they believe about Jesus. You know, people ask, well, what is, what is God like? We know what God's like because Jesus revealed him. Why, why, why are other religions not what Christianity is? Because they don't say that their prophet or whoever it was was God. We believe in Christianity. We believe in Jesus because Jesus was God. He was raised from the dead to prove it. This morning, I'd just like to ask you, if the Holy Spirit is working in you this morning, and you've not really stepped over that line of faith and acknowledged that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and you're going to receive the forgiveness and grace that he offers and begin to walk with him. It's not about you being good enough. It's about him being good enough. If you haven't done that, all the eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want to just look around the room and ask if you'd like to receive Jesus today. Make a decision about him, who he was. Your eternal life is at stake you'd like to receive him, just slip up your hand. You don't need to say anything. I won't embarrass you. Yeah, I see you back in the back over there. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Yes, I see you too. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Yes, I see you too. God bless you. Lord, thank you for these ones this morning. They didn't make a decision about them. They made a decision about you. And I pray, Lord, in a very literal way that you'd grab their life. Grab their life, Lord. And I know as you do, you won't let go. There'll be times when they feel like they're on their own, but they're not. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Help them to live that way from this day forward, Lord. And we'll be faithful to give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.